I always felt overwhelmed with grief. Like, I always felt like it's some people who God just can't love them, and you one of them. That's what the devil used to tell me. You, the person that God can't love, you, your children are going to be better off without you. So you might as well kill yourself. God wasn't done yet. It was so much hurt, so many layers. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of This Is My Story. Today's guest is Sharon Parker. Sharon Parker has a beautiful story. She has a beautiful heart. And I cannot wait to introduce her to you so you can hear and see what Jesus Christ has done in her life. She has gone from the pits of despair. Her life as a young child was robbed by sexual abuse and ended up in drugs and alcohol, but just struggled most of her uh, child life all the way into her early adult years, uh, struggling to believe that she had any value at all. And I met Sharon Parker about four years ago, and we became fast friends. And I am so delighted today for you to be able to hear her story because you are truly going to be blessed. So down in the comments, let her know. Love you, Sharon. Thank you for sharing your story. And uh, before we dive into this conversation, just want to thank our two sponsors. Word of Life Bible Institute and camps all around the world, headquartered in New York. They have a Bible Institute there and also many different camps. Please check them out. There'll be a link below, an amazing place for you to get a Bible education or send your child to get a camp experience or a Bible education there. Also, Christian Healthcare Ministries. We love these guys. And if you're looking for an alternative healthcare solution, Christian Healthcare Ministries is biblical and they're a low cost sharing solution for you as an individual, your family. You need to check them out. Perhaps there's somebody that you know that's struggling with insurance, and this is going to be a great alternative solution for them. So thank you, Christian Healthcare Ministries. Now, guys, I want to introduce you to Sharon Parker. To me, my story is just, it's about being in the darkest, darkest place for a long time, not just for a season, like for a very long time and thinking that this is the norm. This is where it's going to be. This is how it's always going to be. And then one day in a place that I never would have imagined, Christ comes and rescues me. Mm. And it's in, and he's showing me his love. Like, Oh, like I'm not used to. Like yeah. I wouldn't believe through people that he's using people to show me how much he loves me and people that I ordinarily wouldn't accept yeah. love from yeah. them. So it, it's just like from a little girl, I don't focus a lot of things did happen. Um, and they, now that I look back, I see that all of that pain brought out such beauty in me mm. because I would have never known um the beauty of Christ in me had I not endured all of that pain. Yeah. Because there would be no I don't think I would have come to the place to where I accept that Christ he he loves me. He is my champion, my warrior. Yeah. He always has been. And so just what he has done is more important to me than what I went through. Yeah. Like it's more Christ transforming me is more important to me than, and sharing it, letting people know like it's real because there were a lot of days that I would be like, this can't be real. I'm just waiting yeah. for 
something else to happen because this can't be my life. Yeah. I'm waiting for something else to happen. But he loves us so much that he would take the most unexpected things and people people in our lives to show us like, hey, I got you. Don't worry about this. Yeah. I got you. And I'm gonna change you right before your very eyes. Yeah. And that's what he's done in my life. But people people don't believe that sometimes. People don't believe that that the guy can come into their lives at a place mm-hmm. where um, they're hurting a place of pain and a place of, of fear or anger. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I know you, you were a young girl when, when life took a, a difficult yes. turn for you. So I grew up first, the first hit was, um, growing up thinking that one man was my dad and finding out through an argument with him and my mom that he wasn't my dad. So that was, I call wow. it, that was my first um, gut punch. And then the next was being um, raped by my one of my family members and then being molested um, throughout the years by other family members um, and just feeling so dirty and feeling like I'm not worth anything, like I'm the scum on the bottom of somebody's shoe. Then just from the, uh, I think I was 12 when I took my first drink. Now, uh, let's back up just a little bit. How old were you when you were experiencing some of these things with your, your family members? Were you younger I than 12? I remember 10. I remember maybe wow. 9 or 10. And then um, I lived with the man that I thought was my dad. And that's where the first, um, the first person violated me. And then when did you I, keep that kind of in? Or did you yeah, let... I never, I never told anyone. The first time I really came out with this was um, when I was in this program called the Jobs Partnership of Florida Life Works Program. Mm. Yeah, and, you know we're going to talk about that a little bit for mm-hmm. sure. But but I just think I, I love that you mentioned that because how many people carry these things forever, right? Forever, and, and they just because of the shame, because of the fear, exactly. But keep going because I know I know because God is delivering you. He he is. I'm I'm still a work in progress, but I thank him for the journey. So being a little girl and being violated by all these men that were supposed to protect me. Um, it really just made, I just grew up feeling like I was nothing. Like I was just the scum on the bottom of somebody's shoe. And I had um, issues with my mom because being a little girl and her um, second husband molesting me and her choosing to stay with him, I think was like, that did it for me. That was like, okay, I'm not worth anything Mm. you know so she chose him over me she doesn't love me and i i put i had a lot of resentment toward my mother but i internalized it because i grew up when you don't back talk you don't listen it is what it is or you get this backhand so yeah i internalized that and i like to say i became the world's greatest self-sabotager I didn't think anybody could love me, so I didn't love me. And I went through being um, just so self-destructive, promiscuous. Um, just did you end up staying at home or did you leave? I left and I came back. I left and I came back. 
But um, where would you go and, and live? I mean, just did... in the streets or with um, whoever I was hanging out with at the time, this man or that man or friends or whatever. But then I would always come back home and I stayed home for a long time with that, you know, knowing what everything that was going on um, after after my stepfather molested me and my mom left. And came, she left me for like a week and then she came back. And I was like, whoa, she came back to him. Mm. And I just took it like, okay, that's because you're not worth anything. And she she chose him. But I I had to um it was years later when I could forgive her and understand where she was coming from. But during that time as a little girl, I didn't know how to numb myself. Like I didn't know how not to feel all of that. Yeah. Well, and that's a, that's so much weight. I mean, it, you say you took your first drink at at, at 12. twelve. That was like, oh, I I got my first drunk. I think I was about twelve, and I was like, oh, I don't feel anything. This good. I'm a different person mm-hmm. when I'm drinking. I'm loud and happy, and nobody can see how I really feel. Mm. But that only lasts for so long. Like I say, when I was 12, I got my first good drunk. By the time I was maybe 15 or 16, I know how to get, knew how to get drunk really, really good. I knew how to numb mm-hmm. myself really good. But after a while, I, so I went through life um, drinking, but functioning Still not telling anyone, you know, the root of it, why I hated myself, why I did some of the things I did. And then when I was 20, maybe 21, 2021, I started using cocaine. Mm. And that took me to a whole nother level. Yeah, were you still living on the streets then? And no, I was living. I was back home. I was living with my mom. I was always like, um, when I would leave home, be from pillar to post. But then I would go back home, and you know, I just. But at home, I pretended like I was good. At home, I was like, I'm okay. At my family, in my family, you drink, you get high. You know, it's it's the norm with a lot of us. Well, it was the norm with a lot of us, but um, I went through a lot of bad relationships, too, because I didn't know what love was. Because the first man that I remember telling me he loved me was on top of me when I was 10 years old, mm-hmm. violating me. And so love totally distorted your view of love. Yeah. To me, love had to hurt or it wasn't really love. And so I went through, oh my gosh, I don't know how many relationships. And I couldn't distinguish between, I say love and lust. Yeah. I couldn't distinguish between, if, if a man really did love me, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't receive it. So I would do something to sabotage the relationship, no matter, matter how good it was, because I was so broken. I didn't know how to love myself, so I couldn't love anybody else. And during all of this, when I'm 16, I start having babies. Mm-hmm. So my first son, my oldest son, is 40. And hey, I'm, I'm 40. Old enough to be your mama. <laughs> <laughs> so, you watch out. 
that. So having him, I um I didn't know how to my mom was there and she she loved, you know, she loved my children and everything, but I didn't know how to love this little baby because I didn't know how to love me. Yeah. So I just learned to fake it and I never didn't seem like I never made it. You know, they say fake yeah, it till you it make to, it. Yeah. But you can't fake it till you make it with babies, with children. And so that didn't stop me from drinking. Um, then what? When he was hmm, almost two, I had another baby, my daughter, from a different man. When she was maybe three, I had another baby from a different man. When that baby was not even two, I had another baby from a different man. And I didn't understand, you know, I thought it was the, the norm. It was okay. And I did not understand that every time I laid down with a person, I was giving part of me away. But I felt like it wasn't anything for me to give. Yeah, like you already was, felt empty. Yeah, I was like, I'm empty. I'm numb. I'm, I'm nothing. So, you know, this is what I deserve. And I would, um, but I was so angry when I would drink, I would want to fight. Um, it didn't take much to make me angry. I remember when I used to go out and my mom would be like, Sharon, you got my knives? Put my, where my butcher knife at? Because I was so crazy. I was such a hot mess that I would take, I would have butcher knives in my purse broke bottles in my pocket. That's the life I live. Yeah. Just kind of being on the streets then? Is that yeah, to... just being where you come from, you gotta survive. Yeah. And I was determined I wasn't gonna let anybody hurt me because I had been in abusive relationships where men would beat me or, you know, talk to me any kind of way. And I just was determined um I'm never gonna let another man hurt me. And but I didn't realize I did more damage to myself than any man ever yeah. could. And so that was the life that I lived. One of the guys that I dated, I actually stabbed him in his chest. And um, Was there like an altercation? Between yeah, we, we were into a fight, a fist fight. And um, I just, I, I clicked. He told me he, you know, he was trying to to fight me. He had I tried to get away from him. He broke in my house and um he was like, You love me too much to hit me, to cut me. Cause I re I had a knife in my hand. That's how crazy, you know, it was normal for me to have a knife. And I, I stabbed him in the chest and thank God he didn't die. But the crazy thing is I went back to him after all of that. I went back to him because, hey, I deserved it. Mm -hmm. And so um, that, that was my life. That, that, that was it. But to me, that was normal. I saw my mom and my stepdad fight for a lot of years, and they stayed together. You know, they yeah. did all kind of crazy stuff. They stayed together. But um, my brother died. No, right before my brother died. I had tried to kill myself Wow! because I really didn't think I was worth living. I was a lousy mom. Um, I had dropped out of school. I went back and got my GED, but 
I did I just didn't have a purpose and I felt like my children would be better off without me. I didn't want them to be like me. So I tried to um I tried to kill myself on numerous occasions like one time I took um about a whole bottle of Excedrin PM. I downed it with alcohol. But before that, I had took um pills down there with alcohol, just doing things to try to sabotage myself, yeah. to kill myself. But then I think that I was crying out for help, but nobody was listening. And it was like I was that little girl again that always wanted somebody to notice me, but for the right reason. Yeah. Not notice me to, to hurt me. Yeah, notice me to help me. But nobody, it, it was like nobody was paying attention. And nobody understood. So what's the use of going on? And Man. Christ Jesus couldn't love me, you know, because people would, would talk to me about church and Jesus. And I would be like, that is not for me. I know Jesus can't love me because I'm like as nasty as they come. And he clean, he pure, he holy. So how is he going to love me? And I just, and that was your view of God was, was that was my view of was, God. And then there was what I had saw in church. Like I had been to church and I had saw these people praising God, talking about they love God. But before they get off the church ground, they cussing like a drunk sailor. Or I see people, men in the church cheating on their wives and all this kind of stuff. And then I one time um, I had this pastor to actually propositioned me i went to visit this church i went to i was going to church with some of my friends and this was long after i was um had become an adult and i wanted i would just want to see if it's real yeah so i go to church um i travel with this church to another town the pastor is preaching and i don't want to say his name because i believe i'm praying and i've been hoping all these years that he asked for forgiveness and, and God forgave him and he, he changed. But after he preached, and when I tell you this dude was preaching, people were falling all out, <laughs> cartwheels and everything. And he's just preaching to, he just sweating and people wow. jumping up, shouting and going, doing all this stuff. And then later that night, I go back, to, we're staying at a hotel and I go back to my friend's hotel room and when I go in the hotel room the pastor is in there he has a plate of cocaine my friends have cocaine and I'm looking like that's the pastor wow I played it off because I learned how to be a chameleon at a young age so I acted like that didn't bother me and when he was talking his, you know, talking trash to me, I just talked trash back to him, like, hey, mm. just just to play it off. But that really almost killed me because I was like, it can't be. Church is not real. God is nothing to it. Yeah. Like, it's, it, I'm not going to. They're yeah, doing how the same in the world? Thing That's I'm so doing. sickening. How in the world does that? Did they know that he was the pastor? He knew that they, you guys were at church? He, yeah, he was my friend's friend. And so I, evidently he led them to the church. 
But um, wow. I that night I was like, no. So I know God can't be real, and this is not for me. You know, so I would, I didn't stop going to church, but I stopped believing that God could change me and that God could love me. Cause I felt like you just go to church to look good, you know, cause yeah. I had went to church. I would go to church, leave church, stop by the liquor store, get me a six pack and go home because I saw other people doing it. The prominent people in the church were doing it. So I, I thought that was the norm. and. I, I never stopped, and I kept going through cycles where I would be trying to kill myself. Now I'm addicted to cocaine, to crack cocaine, so I'm leaving my babies, my children. I'm leaving them for sometimes a month at the time, and my children are growing up with me in and out trying to figure out what is wrong with my mom. Mm. Like, they growing up thinking that I don't love them, that I love drugs more than I love them. And some people will look at you and say, if she really wanted to stop, she could stop doing drugs. But that's for a person that has never been in so much bondage that you don't want to be that way. Yeah. But that's all you know. You don't know how not to be that way because that's how you survive. Yeah. Because, because the pain is there, the pain and the memories of having your past and then mm -hmm. also having your, your young adult years be mm -hmm. formulated with children from different dads. Mm -hmm. So Satan uses all of that in your mind to crush you, you know, which yeah. is, which yeah. is, you know, if you've never been crushed, you don't know what you you're due to try to get uncrushed, even That's if right. it was in a moment or for a few minutes or mm -hmm. moments, um, even to the point, like you're saying, where you would leave your, your children, you, uh, you know, you loved your children, you love yeah. your children, mm -hmm. but you, you just couldn't survive. You didn't know what to do. And, and so you just did the only thing that you were accustomed to doing, which was to try to save yourself, to try to either yeah. kill yourself or Can medicate because that, that pressure is so dark and so heavy mm -hmm. that you can't just sit in your home with your children and, oh, and allow no. the demons to leave your head and allow mm -hmm. all those thoughts and the, and the fears. And if you, you haven't lived to? there, you don't know what that's you don't like. Know. And when you don't have somebody to talk to when you don't trust, because I didn't trust people. You know, I always thought people had an agenda or, you know, it's something they want from me because um, even if somebody telling me they love me, I don't believe it. What you want? That's mm -hmm. how I, that's how I um, lived. And so it was just this, this cycle of maybe a month I would be clean, try to stay clean, but then I would get sucked right back in go from relationship to relationship and that that just was it that was the cycle and then my brother died and I just went further into a deep hole because my brother was shot he was murdered and I remember when we got to the hospital and they came out and they talked um to my mom and said we're going to take him in surgery and not five and I was praying I was like lord God, if you real, please don't let him die. If you do, um, I'll change. If you if you bring if you let him live, I'll change. And five minutes later, the doctor came back and was like, he didn't make it. He died. Mm -hmm. And I thought, cause I didn't really know God. I didn't have a relationship with him, but I'm going by what I heard. So 
I was like, why did I even pray? Because he wasn't going to hear me anyway. Who mm-hmm. am I? So I went through that, told me that God won't hear you. And I used to hear people say, God don't hear sinners. God don't hear the prayers of sinners. And I believe that from that, I believe that he couldn't love me. He mm-hmm. couldn't possibly love me. And so I'm like, what's the use? Yeah. But I wanted to I wanted to look like I was okay. So I would go to church, but I wouldn't believe in nothing they were saying. Yeah. Just going through the motion. I'm just and... going through the motion because it looked nice if you go to church and people may accept you and people will think you're doing okay if you go to church and you play the part. But if Christ is not in your heart, you just playing the part. Yeah. My daughter, oh my God, I love her so much. She even moved me. She was a flight attendant and she moved me to Georgia to try to thinking if she take me somewhere where I know nobody, I'm going to be okay. But what people don't understand is wherever you go, wherever you run to, you are going to be there. And so you can change the environment, but if you don't change, no matter where you are, you're going to find it. She got, she had a flight and she left me at her apartment not even two days later, I found somebody who could do what I needed done yeah. because I did. I never once believed that going to Georgia was going to help me. And I didn't understand. I wanted to kill myself because she was so done with me. And um, I was like, I, I, I can't get this right. God, I don't understand why you even let me live. You know, because I'm so disgusting. I'm so unlovable. I don't have anything good in me. Why? I remember one time killing my, trying to kill myself. And when my family found me, I was already, I had already defecated on myself. They called my, my dog was in the bed with me, just laying there. This is what my family told me and wouldn't, didn't want anybody to touch me. and. I woke up three days later in the hospital. They called my family and was like, you know, she's not going to make it. Y'all need to come. But I woke up three days later like, man, oh, Lord, why you didn't let me die, God? Dang. Why would you not let me die? What am I good for? I'm not a good mom. I'm not a good anything. You know, I've done some stuff that would make some people's Eyes pop out of their heads. So what's the <laughs> purpose of you keeping me? And so I just, it, everything, it, I always felt overwhelmed with grief. Like, I always felt like it's some people who God just can't love them. And mm. you one of them. That's what the devil used to tell me. You, the person that God can't love. You, your children are going to be better off without you so you might as well kill yourself even after i came to the church the church i belong to now even after i got there the demons the the voices were so strong in my head that even going to church wonderful pastors learning i tried to kill myself again because i went i had stopped drinking Because God took cocaine from me. Oh, let me go back. So in 2006, my daughter 
was pregnant with Chad. He's 15 now. And he wasn't my first grandchild. He was my third one. But this boy has a calling on him. So my daughter wasn't really speaking to me. I was living in a crack house. And she called me and she said, Ma, I had my baby. You want to come see him? Which was unbelievable to me that she was even speaking to me. And But two weeks prior to that, I had prayed, Lord, I don't know how I got here. I said, but God, if you don't send somebody, I'm going to die here. And I won't be able to praise you. I can't praise you from the grave. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand the power of that. I didn't know that I was going in the covenant with God that day. That if he bought me out, I was going to praise him no matter what. You mean kind of out of the out of crack the house? crack house? Out of if he delivered me from crack cocaine and everything else. And he did. Mm. I go at, to the hospital to visit my daughter and my grandbaby. And I hold him. And I, when I held him, like nothing was the same. I wanted to fight then after I held him. I, I held him. I went back to the crack house and, oh my gosh, when I tell you the Holy Ghost will mess up your getting high, I couldn't get high and enjoy it. Well, I never, I didn't enjoy it. It just was a numbing, a medication. I couldn't get along with the people that I was living with in the crack house anymore. We arguing, we just like, not to getting on my nerve, the men that I would, um, um, I'm just going to use my language, the men that I would trick with. Yeah. For drugs, I couldn't. They were repulsive to me now. Yeah. Before, I was repulsive. So, hey. Yeah. So that was kind so, of the thing was they would just trade sex for For drugs, drugs. yeah. And so they, they're actually placating your own pain because mm-hmm. you're in there to numb pain and they're in there profiting and, 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 and yeah, getting yeah. pleasure out of your pain. I think mm-hmm. that's one of the most uh, worst atrocities in this world is placating over the pain mm-hmm. of a, of another person that you could gain and i mean the holy spirit though went to work huh was oh yeah oh yeah but you know i i was like what is going on i gotta get out of here and my this same i only have one daughter okay let me change that because my sons are married and my daughter in love mm. they will get me i have three daughters one blood <laughs> there you daughter go. but my daughter who at times she didn't care if anybody knew I was her mom or not. She came to get me two weeks later. And I have not been back to the crack house since then. That was November of 2007, 2006. In December of 2006, my best friend at the time, Regina, she has gone on to be with the Lord, invited me to church. And I was like, oh, no, baby, I'm good. Yeah. Don't worry about it. I, I, mm-mm. But I could not be still. Like, I could not rest. And I was, my daughter, I was living with my, one of my younger sisters. So because I was there, my daughter trusted me to babysit my grandson, Chad. And I kept like, I'm going, I'm not going, I'm going, I'm not going. And I called my friend Regina and I was like, okay, I'm going. You can come pick me up. She was like, you the reason I can't get my hair together. I've been stuck in the mirror 
for over an hour and I can't get my hair together. All right, it's about time. <laughs> I go to church and I'm going thinking I don't want to go back on crack because I, I, my daughter trusts me. Yeah, to babysit you feel like you got, a, you got a small window of an opportunity. Yeah. And I don't want to go back to my then husband. My, this is my second husband. Lord have mercy. Um, I don't want to go back to him. And so, but I, I go to church saying, if I just, I'm just going to go to church and that's it. And they do altar call. And it felt like somebody grabbed me in the collar and just led me to the altar. And I stayed there. But I was saying, okay, I'm going to stay off of crack. I wasn't thinking Christ was going to really come in and do something because. You're just trying to take a step. You're like, a step. I need to stop doing this because mm -hmm. it's going to kill me. God was doing deeper things that you weren't aware yes. of. Yes. Yes. So I go, I'm standing there and I'm at the altar and they're doing the sinner's prayer and the confession and I'm saying it. But I'm thinking, ah, I just want to stay off crack. You know, all that other stuff. But yeah. as I keep going, I just start to ask him, Lord, if you real, can yeah. you do it in yeah. me? They think I they're praying a prayer, though, with, with somebody who's maybe been in church for a while and has mm -hmm. their life somewhat together. They don't know. They're playing with somebody that's come from the depths of hell here on earth. And it has like, pain like no one could understand. And, and you're like, Lord, I just, are you real? Yeah. Like they're praying the prayer and mm -hmm. you're like, I'm praying this, but I don't think they understand that like this girl's been through some stuff. And so you're processing that prayer time with the Lord just real honestly and just simply. like, I don't know if this is going to work, but hey, I tried everything else because um, all throughout my life, like it's like I've been back and forth, back and forth. I don't want to go back and forth. I need you to do something if you are who they say you are. I need you to do something, you know, with me. What that looks like, I don't know. But um, even while I was there, the what the seeds that had been planted in me of being unlovable, of being um, like the scum on the bottom of somebody's shoe, that was still there. And you know Jesus can't love you. Satan, um, he bombards the mind, especially of um, those who Christ is tugging at you and you don't know it, yeah. he bombards the mind with the negative seeds that he planted. It wasn't until years later I could look back and see that Satan had been trying to take me out from the time I was a little girl. You know, so um, I was scalded with hot grease when I was a little girl, pulling a, um, a pan off a stove, my mom told wow. me. I had my arm cut now. I'm showing my age now. There used to be washers that had ringers on them that you ring, you put the, you wash it in the tub, they wash in the tub, and then you put them through a ringer. Well, me putting clothes through the ringer got my arm caught up oh, in it, and gosh. it took it up like up to my collarbone. So there were different things that happened to me. Um, I've been beat, slammed on concrete, just kicked and punched. And all the while, I couldn't see, I'm thinking God hate me, but I didn't know that through all of that, he was the one that was keeping me. He was the reason I wasn't dead. He was the reason that I didn't lose my mind. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm in church, I'm listening, and I'm hoping every day that maybe, you know, Jesus would exception that he might take me in. He might love yeah. me. But because God's got a believe- lot of work to do in you because you're so fearful and you're you've already built up this false narrative about mm-hmm. your story that you are worthless before God and that mm-hmm. he would have to make an exception, which tells me you're at a place where you're just like, I doubt it can happen. Yeah. You know, can, exactly. But if you can make an exception and God, I love your story right from here forward, just because God, he starts to show you something. He starts to pull back the veil and. You you start to get big doses of what God wants to truly do, and only yes. God could could have done all of this. But I, yeah, keep going because this is where the good stuff comes. <laughs> only He could have did what He did. So I I want to quit church. I back I I backslide. I go back to drinking, and this is the very last time that I try to kill myself. I go back to drinking. Um, I get a bottle of Excedrin PM and a bottle of Crown Royal because I am still hearing in my head, you sinned against God. God hates you. You, you, can't, you can't change. He will never allow you to um, be his and you can't change. This is just who you are. So you might as well kill yourself. Look, look at you. And I um, drove my car. And I don't know how, I know that it was the Holy Spirit now to one of my church mother's house. She had left and came back and she was there. So I couldn't get back in my car and drive. She called the paramedics for me. Um, they put me in the, in the ambulance and they had the door still open when they were pulling off with me in and I tried to jump out the back. and. Mm-hmm. I went to um, a crisis center. My pastors came to visit me, but and other friends. I had been through the Jobs Partnership Program, but God wasn't done yet. It was so much hurt, so many layers that he wasn't done yet. Because I had a conversation with him. I was like, look, now, I don't want to be a crackhead, but... I've been drinking since I was 12. That's like my BFF. So can we kind of work some out here so that I could keep my malt liquor going and just, I'm going to go to church, but I just need to keep my malt liquor because if I give you that, you are taking away all of my security blankets. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, no. <laughs> you, it's me, it's all or nothing. I'm all that you need. And he delivered me from alcohol, like, because when I met, I married again, and um, my husband was a drinker, and we drank together, but God was showing me, if you continue in this, you're going to spiral down, you're going to go back, and I bought you out of Lodabar, so Mm -hmm. you can't go back. And I was in the hospital, I remember my pastors coming to see me and my pastors are some anointed people of God and he had a baseball cap on and some people think I'm crazy when I share this but I know what Christ did in me he left his cap there when they came to see me I was so in bondage I was so heavy 
I couldn't even talk with them. I cried the whole while they were there. I was just sobbing. When they left, um, he, my pastor left his cap. I picked it up and I put it on my head. I don't know why. And 15 minutes later, I believe, that's why I say the spirit of God moves. I know a cap is a cap. But for me, God just used that cap and allow his anointing to flow on it. And when I put it on my head, he bought me a peace and brought me back to clarity. And I was able to call my pastors like not even 15 minutes after they left and tell them, thank you for coming to see me. And I was able to talk to them. I left there maybe a week or so later. And during that time, the Lord had told me, how dare you? Your life don't belong to you. Your life belongs to me. I paid the ransom for you. You didn't shed your blood. I shed my blood. And that delivered me from the spirit of suicide. So when the enemy come now to tell me you need to kill yourself, devil, you better go kill yourself. I'm a child of the most high God. I shall live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. Amen. So I don't know what you got going on, but I'm going to live. Yeah. And that's that Christ has over the years, he has given me a boldness to trust him. He, I know him personally as my strong deliverer, my mighty warrior. Yeah. All right, guys, that's a wrap for this part of Sharon Parker's story. I hope you've enjoyed getting to hear her. I love this woman. She is like a sister to me. But we've got another 40 minutes of her story, so I decided to cut her episode into two parts. There was just too much amazing things in this woman's life that I think we should just give more time to. So we're going to have a part two that will uh, be coming out shortly. So tune in for that. And I want to just reflect on a moment. You know, Sharon's story has so much pain around it. And if we're honest with ourselves, we've all gone through pain and trauma exists in everyone to some degree. And it's really when we are willing to go back and revisit those painful moments in our lives that we find a deeper appreciation for the power of God's love, the work of his Holy Spirit in our lives to bring us into a place of greater freedom, greater joy and greater purpose. And if you've heard it said before that God can take your mess and turn it into a message or your pain and turn it into purpose, it is true. Satan, like many times in Sharon's story, wanted her to believe that she was worthless, that she was uh, had no value and that she should just take her own life and that is what the enemy wants to do. That's what he wants to do in my life and in your life. But God is alive and God wants to do great things in my life and great things in your life. But there's a process, a story, a story between good and evil, a story between God overcoming the enemy, a story of your mind going from an old mind to a renewed mind, your life going from an old story to a new story. And this is one of the reasons we created this podcast, because pain often has a twin brother of loneliness and a twin sister or a cousin of worthless. And if you've ever dealt with any of those pain, loneliness, worthless, then you understand why Sharon would medicate. But we all medicate. We all cover these things up. We end up having a secret story. We're on the outside. We appear to be fine. Our friends assume that we're fine, but we're not seen. We're not truly known. And so we live in sort of this double life because we're afraid. The shame, the fear, 
of what others may think. This is the other reason we created this podcast is to give us a safe place to invite you in uh, to find the healing and to move from that old story to a new story. So if you need help, please reach out info at thisismystory.org. Or if you want to dive into an intensive version of your story with your by yourself or with someone else, then we have a scarred for good curriculum and series. Uh, it's called discovering the goodness of God in your story. And so there'll be a link down below for you to check that out for you yourself or your youth group or your church. And so let us know if you have questions. If you can't afford that book, please contact us. We'd love to hook you up. All right, before I jump off, do me a favor, hit the like button, comment, subscribe if you haven't done so already. And we'll see you on the next episode, part two of Sharon Parker's story.